Today's message is entitled Grave Clothes. Man, I tried to come up with a really catchy sermon title or message title. And um, I, 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 the last couple of days, I was like, Lord, I feel like I need something that'll to make the word exciting just hearing the message. And then the Lord said, my word is already exciting. And so I kind of left that alone. But, you know, the preacher in me was trying to attach something, some title to it that would make it more exciting. Uh, but it's simply grave clothes. And I want to start off by saying that every believer at some point in their walk with God has asked the question. If I'm saved, why do I still sin? If I'm saved, why do I still sin? Well, first, let's deal with the if. When we say if, we are opening up room for doubt in our own salvation. Because if you doubt your salvation, then that's the first problem. By saying if you are questioning your salvation, and if opens up the doorway to uncertainty. And that's the very place where the enemy, the devil, will enter in. He enters in at the place of doubt, the place of uncertainty. Uh, when he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, God had concretely and clearly advised them on what the rules of the garden were. And if you notice that God, contrary to religious belief, he is not a God of a bunch of laws and rules. They asked for those laws. They asked for those rules. They said, Lord, give us this information that we can live by. And when God created Adam and Eve, he only gave them two rules. He said, this is the tree you eat from, uh, that you don't eat from, and everything else you can eat from. See, God is not a God of, 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 of you can't do. He's a God of you can do. Because if you notice, there was only one you can't do in the garden. That was do not touch what I have told you not to touch. And everything else is freely yours. Now, that, that is such a powerful, powerful revelation if we catch that as believers. Because so long we've had preachers tell us and preach the, the don't do's from the Bible. But they don't preach the can do's. What you can do. Because what they do is they put us all in one pot and say none of y'all can do this. But that's not what the Bible says. See, our covenant relationship with God is specific. It's individual to the point that these rules and regulations were made for a society of people that asked for laws. Because they felt that they were inadequate in themselves to obey the one law. Because when it comes down to our individual relationship and covenant with God, that all we have to worry about is the things that God told us not to touch. The trees that he told us not to eat from. See, that's why and then if, when we get involved in others' covenant with God, then we begin to, 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 to project on them the things that we can't do. But see, there are some things that other people can do that we can't do. Simply Take, for example, we all have different limitations and boundaries in our own lives. And we have to know those limitations and boundaries. And God is the one who sets those limitations and boundaries on each of our individual lives. So we can't get so far concerned in other people's walk that we stop realizing that we have our own individual walk. And so today I want to help us understand how to build a strong spiritual foundation so we'll know how to stop wavering and drifting in our faith covenant. Uh, we become sure and steadfast in our walk with Christ and we can set unmovable anchors in our spiritual relationship with God. So Hebrews 6 and 19 says this, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. Now, the anchor of our salvation is sure and steadfast. That's Jesus Christ. 
So the word sure means firm, certain, and secure. The word steadfast means stable, trustworthy, and unmovable. Now, I want you to notice something. In this scripture, it says we have in hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And then here's an interesting part that he places on the end and which enters into that within the veil. So here he is saying that there is there remains a place a deeper place in God, a higher place in God that we can't enter into unless we are first sure and steadfast. See, there are some things that God won't allow us access into until we're stable. There are some things that God won't even allow into our lives until we're stable. And what we do is sometimes we try to go in front of God or before God and try to work it out ourselves when our lives are not stable enough. And then when we get the thing that we've been praying for, we thought that we were ready for, we find ourselves in a position regretting that it ever came into our lives. So you will never be victorious in your walk with Christ until you're sure about your salvation. How many people know that there are only two types of believers? Only two. And that's the victorious and the defeated. So you can be saved and still be defeated. Amen. But God desires that we be saved and be victorious. Adrian Roberts. Uh, he's a white guy out of Tennessee. And man, this guy can really preach the gospel. The, the message and the revelation that God gave him were just so profound. And I remember him talking about salvation when I was when I was a babe in Christ and I was growing, well, a babe in ministry and I was growing in the knowledge of the word. And I remember a message he taught about salvation, about you can be sure. And when in this message, he gave an illustration. He said some believers are question mark believers and some are exclamation mark believers. And when it comes to our salvation, that's the defeated and the victorious believer. We fall into one of those categories. If you take the question mark believer who is always questioning their faith, always questioning their salvation. Am I really saved? Do I even really believe in God? And you know, we get to some places in our in our relationship with God uh, where we begin to question certain things. Uh, but the, the the question mark believer is the one, just like the question mark, his head is hung over, always doubting, always worried, always concerned, not sure about what they believe and what God has called them to do. But then you have the exclamation mark believer who is the victorious believer who, who stands up and boldly proclaims that I know, that I know, that I know. And, and, and professes and exclaims what they believe. They're not timid and, and, and holding their head down, afraid to engage other people in conversations about Christ, but they stand up at like an exclamation mark and they exclaim what they know. And that doesn't mean you have to know it all. And that's okay. Because the things that you don't know, that gives you area and room to grow in your relationship with God and your covenant with God and in your walk with Jesus Christ. We have to move from being question mark believers to exclamation mark believers. And we, can, we should never allow the enemy to, to make us question who we are. Never allow the enemy to tell you who you are. He doesn't give you your identity. Our identity is found in Christ. Colossians 3 and 3 says this, for you are dead and your life is hid in Christ. I love this. Uh, well, in Christ, in God. And, and that's a, well, that analogy is so beautiful because when you think about it, if I'm here, then that means that you no longer see me. And if I'm here in Christ, then that means you see Christ or you should see Christ when you look at me because I'm here, because I'm consumed, because I'm all in. And then he said that I'm here in Christ and Christ in God. 
And so that's that's the depth of our relationship and our connection to God. Once we are saved and born again, believers. Now, Matthew 6 and 13 uh, verses 13 through 18 says this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist. I love this. See, Jesus shows up to his disciples. And this is just the 12. This is before they multiplied. And he's having this discussion with them when he shows up because he wants to find out where they are at spiritually. Because if you don't know where a person is at spiritually, then you don't know how to deal with that person. A lot of times we deal with people and relationships on the level that we perceive that they are on, but that we don't know that they're on. Or we deal with them on the level of spirituality and their mentality or their, their walk with Christ based on what other people have said. And so that's why Jesus deals with other people first, because before he can really deal with who you really think he is, he has to deal with your perception that you've gained from other people. And this is why we got to be careful when because there are so many preachers and ministers preaching so many different facets of word that we've got to be spiritually knowledgeable and tuned in to the Holy Spirit to know what applies to us and what doesn't. Because some people can give you information that's not for you. You ever heard the saying you, you got to eat the fish but spit out the bones? See, everything that is thrown at you or put in on a plate in front of you is not for you to eat because it'll damage you. That's why you got to eat the fish, but you don't you throw away the bones because that is not something that you can consume for yourself. And so here he asked him, he said, uh, what do men say that the son of man is? What are the people around you saying? Who are you hearing? What are you hearing people say about me? And then they said, some say, you know, it's how quick people are to, to, to say what other people have said. Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias and others, Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. Then he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And they look and here. They all kind of froze up. But here's Peter, the one that they, that, you know, that was cutting off ears and cussing out for. The one that they kind of laughed about. And I'm sure when Peter raised his hand, they all kind of giggled and kind of hit each other like, man, what, what is this guy about to say? But then it, it says Simon Peter answered. He was the only one that answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. He said flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Basically, he was saying you didn't hear this from what other people said. This is not what other men say, but here is a direct revelation that you've got from watching me, from seeing me and from understanding who is really uh, guiding my life. And he said, and so his answer was on point. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Once you get a revelation of who Christ is, God will give you a revelation of who you are. Once you get a revelation of who Christ is, he will give you a revelation of who you are. So immediately after Peter gives, tells him who he is, then Jesus comes back and he says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he got a revelation of who he was. He undergirded him with that identity. Now that he knows his identity, he can stand and walk boldly in who he is. Because he said, you are Peter, you are a rock. And he said, I'm going to build the foundation 
He said, and, and he said, I will build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he's basically telling him that whatever comes against you, as long as you have the revelation that I am the Christ, that I am the son of God, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. As long as you understand that I am the Christ, the son of God, then you are more than a conqueror. As long as you understand, do you, are y'all with me? See, it's understanding who you are in Christ, getting your identity from him and not from other people or what from other people say. And so when you get this revelation, now you are ready to walk as an exclamation mark believer. See, if you don't know who you are in Christ, then the devil or one of these cartoon character preachers or entertainment prophets will try to tell you who you are. So we got to be careful. So uh, this is how Satan caused Adam and Eve to fall. He caused them to question their identity. In Genesis 3 and 5, it says, for God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Who can tell me the deception in that scripture? He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, this is when he was tempting them to eat from the tree. He said, when you when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The deception in that scripture is you will be like God. But then we go back to the scriptures when they were created and he gave them identity. The Bible said that they were created in his image and likeness. So they were already like God. And see, when you don't know who you are, then the enemy is able to present an identity to you to try to get you to bite on it. The enemy was able to trick them into thinking that they were not already like God. And so after they disobeyed God and they failed, the image was marred. And this is why when they looked at each other, you remember when he created them, the Bible says that they were naked and not ashamed. But now after they ate from the forbidden fruit, they looked at each other and they saw each other differently. Now they were ashamed. See, shame is a part of sin. Shame is uh, an offspring of sin. It's what comes after we sin. That's why we shame. And that's why they went and they hid themselves because they no longer viewed themselves the same way. And whenever we sin, we have an attempt to flee and go and hide. And instead of hiding in Christ, we try to hide in the world. You notice they tried, they sold fig leaves on, which matched the environment that they were in. And see, what most believers do is once they sin or once they fall, they try to go and hide in the environment and try to blend in like everybody else. But they are not like everybody else. And you are not like everybody else. And when you sin, you don't go and hide in the world. You know that you are already hid in Christ. And so it's up to Christ to deal with that. Then you to try to deal with it and carry the weight of that condemnation, to carry the weight of that shame, to carry the weight of that disgrace by yourself when Christ has already carried it and nailed it to the cross. And so there's a difference between image and likeness. And because we've never been taught this, then we get one mixed up with the other or we get them both confused altogether. Because image deals with external appearances and attributes. But likeness deals with the inner characteristics. See, there are a lot of people who got the image down pat, but they weigh off on the likeness. See, there are a lot of people who look like believers, but they don't act like it. And that's the difference, looking like and acting like. And so religious folk focus on the external appearance. Covenant people focus on building and developing the inner character, the inner man. So it's possible to have a form of godliness, but denying or lacking the power thereof. Image 
is relative to appearance, structure, and build. It's the makeup. It's the cosmetic. So when we say we are made in the image and likeness of God, then we are made uh, in the image or in the, 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 the structure of God. Because God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those three. We're made up of body, spirit, and soul. Those three. So we're made in his image, meaning his, his cosmetics, the same structure. Check this out. So we understand that God is three part. We understand that we are three part. The reason we are three parts is because when God made man, when he made Adam, he created his body out of the dirt. So we got the body. Then the Bible says he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. So we got spirit. And then what happened? Man became a living soul. So here is the point where, 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 where the soul comes from. That's why we've got to be more concerned about the soul. The spirit in us is the life, the animation, all of the good and righteousness of God in us. And even though that can be in us, if we're not connected to it, it'll never come out of us. Or that likeness or that behavior or that character will never come out. And so now that we understand that's the image, the structure and the makeup, where does the likeness come from? See, likeness is relevant to behavior, character, nature, essence. And so some people are fine with being made in the image, but not the likeness. We should encourage people, not just when we see them doing religious things, but when we see them doing kingdom things. The things that empower other people, the things that promote the gospel, the things that mature other believers, the things that encourage other believers, the things that minister to the to the life of someone else, that helps someone else become a better person. Those are the things that we should be concerned about, that likeness. And so when you don't know who you are, your defenses are down and you become vulnerable to the tricks and deception of the enemy. See, one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross was to give us our identity back because Adam and Eve marred that image when they, not, they didn't fall from grace, but they fell into grace. A lot of times we've been taught that they fell from grace. No, they didn't fall from grace. They fell into grace because it, it was grace that allowed God to still cover them and keep them so that they would have a redeemer who was slain before the foundations of the world who could put them back into the place that they had failed from. All right, so when we are born, we do not have God's image and likeness. Contrary to what you have been told, when you were born, you were not born into God's original image and likeness. I struggle with this. Because I used to tell people all the time, I'm made in the image and likeness of God. But I didn't understand something. I was missing something. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image and his likeness. Perfect, whole, complete, undisturbed. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter five, after Adam and Eve had fallen, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness and image. See, it didn't say that Adam's child was made in the image of God. Adam's child was made in Adam's image. And Adam's image was marred because he had sin. So anything that was created after Adam's sin was created in Adam's image and likeness, which was broken, which was marred, which was separated from God spiritually. 
And so we've got to understand that this is why Christ came into the picture to redeem us back to the image and likeness. And so image, appearance, likeness, character. So once we get saved, we are immediately back in line with the image. But that's why he says we got to work out our own salvation to line up the likeness. And so that's why Paul said, come follow me as I follow Christ. And so we're not to follow the man. We're to follow the Christ in the man. And so after this, we go over into Romans and we find out that it says, Romans chapter 5 and 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed on to all men. For all have sinned. Psalms 51 and 5 says, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. It said that while I was growing in my mother's womb, sin was present in there, being molded and shaped into my being. So that when I stepped out of the womb, you didn't have to tell me to do wrong. I had a desire of pulling towards doing wrong. And that's why we have to correct bad behavior. Because you don't have to teach it. You have to correct it because of the sin nature that came in with Adam. And that's why we got to raise our children to get to a point when they're at the age of accountability. They can begin to move over from that marred image into that perfected image of Christ. Where they don't pick up habits of trying to just look like Christ. Learning how to shout and how to clap on the ones and twos. Learning how to say amen. Learning how to say I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. Learning the lingo, the rhetoric, and the cliches. And having an image and appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof because they're not connected to the source of Jesus Christ. And so our desire is, again, like me and my son, it's not, my desire is not to get him to look like church. My desire is to get the church in him, to get the kingdom in him. So that he can portray the likeness of God. Well, let me word this right. If we were made in God's image and likeness, we would not need a savior. And that's why we need a savior. Because we were made in Adam's image and likeness. And this is why Christ paid it all on the, on the, on the cross. Salvation. He paid the price for salvation. Now understand this. This is where a lot of people miss it and they don't put in the work. Just because salvation is free. That doesn't mean that it's cheap. And when people cheapen salvation by saying, oh, I'm saved by grace. And they think that that's all that they got to do. They don't think about be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. They don't think about uh, 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 maturing themselves into the stature and image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Then they miss it. They just think, that, oh, because I'm saved by grace, I can do anything I want to. No, you can't. Because you've got to develop yourself in who Christ is. And so something may not cost the recipient anything, but it could have cost the giver everything. See, when, that's why we can't deny the gift that God has given us in Christ. Because it didn't cost us anything. All we have to do is freely receive it. But it cost him everything because the Bible says he gave his only begotten son. He didn't have two or three to choose from. He gave us his only son. And that's the greatest sacrifice that you could ever give. I want to take my time. If I can have about five minutes, I want to take my time and deal with this because I don't want to say anything wrong while you leave and you think I said something that I really didn't say. So when we were born again, 
our sins were buried with Christ along with our old life. Everything from the point where we got saved is behind us. Everything up until the point where we got saved that, that we did that was not in line with the will of God, that transgressed his law, that was considered sin. That's why he said we all have sinned and fell short of his glory. Now, you got to notice this. He said all have sinned, that's sin, and come short of his glory. As believers, once we're born again, we no longer sin. Scripture tells us this. So what is it called or what happens when we miss the mark, when we don't do what God has called us to do, when we break one of his laws? Well, here it is. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and 9, whosoever is born of God, which means born again, does not commit sin. So if I'm not committing sin, what am I doing? When I do wrong. So he says, for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God, born again. So here's the identifying factor. You got to know that you've been born again. We said, well, how do I know I've been born again? Well, when he came to Nicodemus or Nicodemus came to him at night, Nicodemus, he said, you know, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, you must be born again. He said, well, I can't enter into my mother's womb a second time. He said, no, you must be born of water and spirit. So born of the water is a natural birth. Born of the spirit means giving your life to Christ and allowing him to, to raise you to life again. A new person spiritually. See, when we see people and they claim that they are saved, <clears throat> we're dealing with two things. Either they are saved and they're defeated or either they thought they got saved and they really are not saved. And so that's why I start off by saying you've got to be anchored, sure, and steadfast. You have to know. Not other people. Not, 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 not your own convictions, because you can convict yourself out of believing who you are. So that means that whenever, well, let's identify what sin is, because we really can't, I really can't, okay, I really, I really can't talk about that in depth without giving you what sin is. First John 5 and 17 says, all unrighteousness is sin. So we, we got that, right? That's what the scriptures say. All unrighteousness is sin. So anything that you do that's not right, that's bad, that's evil, that's wicked, that's sin. First uh, John 3 and 4 says, whosoever committed sins transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So that means to break, violate the laws of God. That is sin. But now, Romans 3 and 23 again says, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Two distinctions there. So all have sinned, but now he enters in coming short of the glory. Coming short of the glory is simply missing the mark, falling short. And see, that's what you and I do as born-again believers. Don't let the enemy tell you that you sin. When it just said that if you're born again, you cannot sin and you do not sin. And so preachers will preach, again, without not understanding what they're preaching or the context in which they're putting sin is. Now, before you were born again, you sin. If you're not saved, then it's sin. And the dangerous thing about sin is that you have to be punished uh, for sin if you die in your sins. And that's why when we're born again into Christ, sins are gone away. We no longer can be punished because we're, remember, we're hid in Christ. And so for us to get punished, that means Christ has to get punished. But if we're hid in Christ, then Christ has already been punished on the cross. And so no longer can we sin or do we sin. Now here's the thing. 
we, we come short. We fall short. And I, when I got this revelation, it opened up my mind because when we sin, we're not trying to stop. When I was living in sin, before I was born again, I wasn't trying to turn down no woman. I wasn't trying to turn down an opportunity to go to the club and get drunk out of my mind and, and be drugged home and wake up the next day and not know what's going on. I like that. I ran to it. But now my desire is to get away from it. Stay away from it. Stay out of it. So if you take an arrow and you have a bullseye and you shoot it, and if you miss it, you just came short. Because now I'm trying to hit the right mark. I'm trying to do right. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't praying no real prayers. I wasn't going to church for the right reason. I wasn't trying to develop my spiritual man. I was, it was all about the flesh. I was, the, lust, the lust and pleasure of the flesh. That's all I was after. But now my desire, my aim. So that means that sometimes I'll come short. But I was aiming at the mark. I was trying to do right. You do something. My intentions were good. My intentions were toward God. So now I cannot sin. I do not sin. I simply have to get my aim better. Do you see what I'm saying? When I slip up and fall, uh, I'm just coming short. I'm just missing what I was aiming at. And so you can't fault me for missing the mark because I was trying and aiming at doing right. I wish I had time to really get deep into that, but I do trust the spirit of the Lord that he will give you a clear and complete revelation of exactly uh, what he, he, he's desired to pour into you today. To know that you don't have to condemn yourself and call yourself a sinner. You're no, long, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Because you made a covenant with God and you moved out of sin. You, don't let nobody, I, you're not a sinner. I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm a saint. I'm no longer a sinner. I, I've transitioned out of that. I mean,